I'd like to keep your Bibles open uh, to Luke chapter 8. What a great passage it is. Uh, the demons have just confirmed who Jesus is. It wasn't just about demon casting out that Jesus was involved. It was about the fact that Jesus is known by demons and not known by the people you'd expect to know him. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees and even the disciples are uncertain. They're asking the question, who is this man? That's what we saw last week. As readers of the Gospel of Luke, we know a bigger story than just the people of today's story. We know who Jesus is and we would feel that we understand what faith in Jesus looks like. Luke wants us to know, Luke wants Theophilus to know what faith in Jesus looks like. If Jesus is the Son of the Most High God, what does faith look like? And so Luke introduced us to two people today who trust Jesus, that is, two people who respond to Jesus with faith. We'll be using the word trust and faith interchangeably because it's the same concept, it's the same original word. One of those people is a prominent religious figure who puts faith in Jesus and the other one, a religious outcast who puts faith in Jesus. Let's pray for us this morning as we gather together around God's Word. Our loving Heavenly Father, help us to understand your Word better so that we might be people who put faith in Jesus. Lord, help us not to be distracted. Help us to be clear. Help us to seek you in your Word. We ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Would you come to Jesus if it wasn't particularly trendy or if all your friends and your families and your colleagues opposed Jesus would you have turned up to church this morning if those around you your family and your friends mocked you for coming to church or laughed at you a friend of ours who worked in Nepal for the last I think almost 2,000 years um, is, uh, tells a story of when they were working in Dunga that some people had to walk to church five hours. Imagine coming to church if you had to walk five hours. What time would you have to leave this morning? And as they walked through the villages, they were spat upon by people who knew they were going to church. Would you, would you have walked to church? Very challenging, isn't it? I guess the answer could depend on this. How desperate are you? Would you seek out Jesus? It depends how desperate you are. Jesus was well known as a healer. And a dying daughter would make you very desperate, wouldn't it? The crowds loved having Jesus around. It's not an east and west and north and south transverse that Jesus is doing. It's actually, he's probably at Capernaum where he made it his home. And he spent time healing and the people of Capernaum loved having Jesus around because instead of going to the hospital and ramping, they just went to Jesus and got healed. But the problem is that Jesus has gone He's on a boat, fishing trip. No, he's gone to the other side of the lake in Lake Galilee. Whereabouts exactly that is, remember, we don't know. And so don't worry about the exact landing place that Jesus goes to. There's a couple of regions that he could have been in. 
But we read in Luke chapter 8 verse 40 that the people are waiting for Jesus to come back. They've been ramping. When Jesus was over in um, the other side of the lake, as readers, we get an insight into who Jesus is. But remember the people in Galilee, well, they throw around the Capernaum region, they wouldn't have known, um, they wouldn't have gone through that story. And the the ruler of the local synagogue whose daughter is dying, who is exceedingly desperate, is waiting for Jesus. His only daughter, 12 years old. We don't know what her illness is, and it doesn't matter. But we do know Dad is pretty darn desperate. Why? Well, the leader of the synagogue was not known for being a friend of Jesus. In fact, none of the religious people were all that excited with Jesus on the scene. And so it's most likely that Luke, sorry, that Jairus has come to Jesus in an act of pure desperation, and you and I can understand that. He's heard of Jesus, he's probably heard Jesus and may have seen Jesus in action. Jesus has spent a lot of time in this region healing, as we'll find out a little later. And Luke gives us the impression that he is desperately waiting for Jesus to come back. Now we'll come back to Jairus in a moment because even though Jairus is extremely desperate, uh, Jesus does not seem to be all that um, intensely focused on the plight that Jairus has in his mind. As Jesus is making his way to Jairus' house, there's a human crowd crush. I guess, and this is a guess, the crowd is pretty eager to see what Jesus is doing. Uh, why would Jesus go to Jairus's house? Because he is the synagogue ruler. He is in opposition to Jesus. And it's been a well-known, well-publicised opposition for the leaders of religious people to oppose Jesus. In the crowd is a woman who doesn't really want to be noticed. She's been bleeding for 12 years. Uh, the whole time that Jairus's daughter has been alive, she has been bleeding. Her monthly period has not stopped. That would have meant that she's ritually unclean. She wouldn't, she's not supposed to be in the crowd because if the unclean person touches you, you become unclean. In fact, she couldn't go to the synagogue. Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 5 verse 25, tells us that she had tried to get healed Um, and she suffered a great deal under those that had tried to heal her. Mark's Gospel tells us that she spent all the money that she had, and instead of things getting better, things have only got worse. Luke just tells us that no one could heal her. Matthew, Mark and Luke all tell the story of this unclean woman, this embarrassed woman, this desperate woman, this woman who is unsure if Jesus could really fix her problem because no one else has. She's desperate, like Jairus, but unlike Jairus, she's hoping for a quick healing that goes, flies under the radar and is unnoticed. And we read that in the jostling crowd, she reaches forth and touches the edge of Jesus' cloak and immediately she gets better. She knew she was better and Jesus knew that she was better, but Jesus stops and asks the crowd crush, 
who touched me? And it's surprising that 20 or 30 people didn't say, I did, I was just pushed against you, Jesus. But obviously Jesus is not answering that question. The disciples think he's asking that question. They say, that's a silly question, Jesus. We're in a crowd, everyone's touching you, they pushed up against you. Verse 45. But she knew what Jesus was asking, didn't she? It wasn't a question of who touched me because they were knocked against me, but who touched me wanting something from me. Jesus is asking her to identify herself. And the woman realises that she needs to own up. She has been healed and she was not allowed to remain unnoticed. She falls at the feet of Jesus, trembling, and in the presence of all the people there, that big crowd, she tells everything that had happened. Now, my gut feeling is she did not expect the reply that Jesus gave. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This is the only time Jesus will refer to anyone in the Gospels as daughter. It is a tender, caring way of referring to her. She is trembling and Jesus wants to assure her that when he asked her to identify himself, it was not to pull her down but to identify that she has faith in Jesus. This woman has tried everything else. Nothing has worked. She is poor, she is desperate, and she hopes that Jesus can heal. Maybe Jesus will heal her. Her faith in Jesus is very small, isn't it? It's not overflowing. It's not public, not not initially, but it's faith in Jesus. Jesus nonetheless and we need to hold we need to hold that thought in our mind Jesus says to her even this woman with little faith daughter your faith has healed you go in peace the story returns to Jairus and at the time it returns to him he's getting some pretty bad news he had been desperate His daughter, his only 12-year-old daughter, his only daughter, who is 12 years old, is dying. She's no longer sick. She's dead. Everything slows down when someone dies. I don't know whether you realise that or been through that. But the urgency is now gone. (laughs) In our culture, there's a whole pile of things that pick up like a whirlwind that throws you here here and there. But the urgency over the person who is dying is no longer there. Jairus is allowed to go home. He's told, come home. But don't waste your time with Jesus, the teacher, because she is stone cold dead. Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus can heal. But in their mind, Jesus can't do anything with death. We're not told how Jairus has responded, why Jesus has been distracted with the bleeding woman. Was he frustrated that Jesus was delayed? It's funny, people speculate on that sort of stuff. We're not told. But what we do know is that Jesus says straight, uh, directly to him, don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 50, don't be afraid, just believe and she'll be healed. Now, that word belief and the word faith are the same word. I mentioned before that I'll use them interchangeably. 
Jairus is called by Jesus to put his faith in Jesus. And he has just heard how this woman who put her faith in Jesus was healed. As small a faith as it seemed, Jesus was worthy of that faith. But can Jesus do anything with death? Can Jesus fix the problem that Jairus is now faced, not with sickness, but with death? Jesus is no longer desperate in the time frames. He is sad. Can Jesus fix that problem? Well, we read immediately that Jairus and Jesus continue towards Jairus' house. Jairus continues to walk with Jesus and we don't know how long it took to get there. But when they do get to Jairus' house, what do we see? That the morning is going full tilt. The morning could be professional whalers or it could be the fact that it's pretty normal to mourn when a 12-year-old daughter dies. That's culturally normal to have both professional people wailing and be genuinely cut to the heart with the death of someone you love. They are all mourning, we are told. And Jesus has the audacity to say to them, stop wailing. We don't know whether he was telling them off or just being nice to them, like he was to the lady who was trembling. The girl is just asleep, they say, but they laugh at him. This is the only time in the New Testament it records people laughing. This story in the three Gospels. You see, to their ears, what Jesus has just said is laughable. This girl is not asleep, she is stone cold dead. Jesus, in their minds, has just said something ridiculous. Will Jairus, no longer out of desperation, but out of his trust in Jesus, keep trusting Jesus? Jairus does not stop when they laugh. Jairus allows Jesus into his house and Jesus says no one else is allowed in. Jairus, Jairus, Mrs. Jairus, Peter, James and John. Jesus takes the dead girl's hand and she rises to life. They order some Uber Eats and probably they order some Uber Eats simply because Jesus is showing the parents that she is alive as a normal person who still needs food there's no other reason for why Jesus tells them to eat, to, to, to prepare some food. She's been dead for the, we don't know how long. She might not have eaten for ages. She could have been hungry. We don't told any of that stuff. But then Jesus says something pretty strange, doesn't he? Don't tell anyone what's happened. Can you imagine their next trip to the shops? The community they live in have been wailing at her death, they know she's dead. You imagine the checkout line at the IGA. Oh, you're the daughter, you're the girl who was dead last week. What happened? Oh, no, she was just asleep. No, 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 she wasn't just asleep. We saw her. Have you seen a dead body before? They change colour. You don't mistake it. Well, what does a story like this have to do with us today? I think there's some good questions we should ask this story. I'm going to ask three of them. I'm sure there's more than three. But then I still want to pause and say, so how does it speak to us? Why, is, why has Luke included it? Why does God's word include it? The first question is this. 
Why is it that Jesus asked that woman to identify herself? Now, we live in a society whose mantra is that faith is a private thing, isn't it? You don't talk about who you voted for and you don't talk about religion. Well, Jesus shows us here that faith in him is not a private thing. If you're interested in following Jesus, you don't follow Jesus incognito. When you put your trust in Jesus, it is a public thing and it is known by others. Right from the very beginning, Jairus' trust in Jesus, well, probably at the very beginning, was desperation. But once he heard his daughter was dead, it was trust, wasn't it? Jairus was very public. Everyone knew. But the woman, her faith in Jesus could not go unnoticed Jairus's already wasn't unnoticed. And Jesus asked her, who touched me, so that she would declare to the crowds that she trusted Jesus. It's a bit like the bloke who's just been healed of the legion of demons on the other side of the lake. What was his role? To go and tell everyone all that Jesus had done. She publicly declared all that Jesus had done. So for those of us who like the idea that our faith in Jesus is a a private thing between me and God only, that's not what Jesus would say. You and I have been healed of all our sin. The debt of our sin has been paid. The guilt of our sin has been wiped away. Do you declare your faith in Jesus publicly? That's a funny question, isn't it? Do your friends and family know that you follow Jesus? I'm not saying do your friends and family know that you turned up to church this morning. That could be very hard to hide after three weeks in a row. But do your friends and family, maybe your work colleagues, know that you trust Jesus? Sometimes we feel that we're not well equipped to speak of our faith in Jesus. If you want to get better equipped, then ask. Don't keep hiding behind the fact that my faith in Jesus is a private thing because Jesus does not say that. We seem to need to be open about our faith. Jesus wants, how Jairus was already open about his trust in Jesus. This woman needs to identify himself That should open a whole pile of questions. What does it mean for you and I to be open about our faith in Jesus? How do we declare our faith in Jesus in a helpful way in our society? That would be a wonderful topic for you and I or you and someone else to be yarning about after the service today. Now, can I just suggest to you that yelling and screaming at someone walking past you in Rundle Mall is probably not culturally helpful way of sharing the gospel. It may work in another culture. I haven't lived in all cultures, but it's not very appropriate in the context of Australia. So, how do you declare your faith in Jesus? The second question I want to ask is this. Why is it that Jesus has just told this woman to tell everything publicly, but then he says to the parents, Jairus Jairus and Mrs. Jairus, not to say anything about what has happened to their daughter. That's almost the exact opposite in a way, I think. 
Why is Jesus told that? There's a number of times, actually, as Jesus performs miracles, that he tells the person who's the recipient of that miracle not to tell anyone else. Now, we know that they don't always listen, but Jesus has commanded a number of people not to tell anyone else. But we saw last week that to the bloke who's just been healed, that he was told to stay here and declare to everyone all that God's done for you. Why does Jesus say sometimes to tell people to don't say anything and other times to say, tell everyone? Well, we're not told. I could come up with a couple of reasons, but I do want to point you at a couple of passages in the Bible that will help you understand, I think, why Jesus does that. Jesus does not want crowds just to turn up because he can heal. The reason Jesus heals is so that people might know who he is. His plan is not to take over the role of the local doctor. He wants people to put faith in him and, as Jesus says, to be part of the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 4, verse 42 and 43, Jesus actually leaves this very region, Capernaum, and the reason he says he leaves it with sick people around, the reason he leaves them is so that he can tell others about the kingdom of God because that is why he was sent. Jesus is not here as just a someone, as someone who's just a miracle worker. The miracles he does points people to who he is. And so when John the Baptist is uncertain of who he is, what does Jesus say? The deaf hear, the blind see, and the lame walk, and the dead are raised. Go back and tell John. Later in Luke's Gospel, it's interesting to see, Luke chapter 10, verse 15, that Jesus is speaking about the people in this region. And he says, he rebukes people in Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, the region where he is, and he rebukes them because they have failed to follow Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, despite the miracles performed there. Now, Remember, we don't know exactly where Jesus is when this, is, this particular healing takes place, but we do know he's in the region. It's most likely that Jesus is in Capernaum, his hometown, but it doesn't matter. We are told that the people from the region have not responded despite the miracles that they've seen Jesus do. The third question I want to just raise is, a bit of might seem like a weird thing, Jesus feels power going out of him. And I want to know, is Jesus' power going out of him a bit like uh, a lithium-ion battery that needs recharging after a while? <laughs> now, the answer, of course, is the, uh, that's not at all the case of what we see. Um, Jesus was there and involved in the creation of the whole world. He doesn't run down in batteries, as he creates and we see in Genesis the creation was effortlessly I don't know whether I can pronounce that word but that's all right it didn't build up a sweat uh, Jesus is not running out of power here so if he's not running out of power why is this reference to Jesus feel power go out of him I don't think it's a reference that refers to a lack of strength as if he's got to spend 10 minutes at home recharging before the next person touches him it's just a simple fact that Jesus knows that this woman has touched him with a different intent to all the other people that had been in that crowd jostling against him. 
Jesus knows that healing took place. This didn't happen because Jesus wasn't paying attention and someone touched him and caught him off guard. But Jesus wanted this woman to publicly identify herself because that's important in the, what it means to put faith in Jesus. Now, I'm sure there's other questions we might ask. Feel free to ask them over morning tea. I want us to look at two things that why I think Luke has recorded this for Theophilus and for us. We see a number of times, and we see it in the way that Jesus refers John the Baptist mates to um, what has happened and what he's doing. This is Luke records this so that we might know who he is, so that Theophilus might know who he is. The dead are raised. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? If Jesus is the Messiah, then he should do the things that the Messiah can do and God has, God's word says the Messiah will do. The dead are raised. So there's a demonstration of who Jesus is with the power that he operates, purpose behind why this is recorded. And you and I need to make sure we know who Jesus is. But we've heard that before. Even though you have heard it before, don't go light on that. Do you really know who Jesus is? There's another reason I think Luke has recorded this particular, these two stories together, is I think they show us what faith looks like. Because in both of these stories, the topic of faith or trust is included. The unclean, bleeding woman has a small amount of faith. She has tried everything first. She is not public. She is desperate. She touches Jesus from behind. She hoped to remain unnoticed. But Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. On the other hand, Jairus initially, you could say he was desperate. But once he knew his daughter was dead, he was the opposite of the woman. He, was, he had a crowd going to his place. He is in opposition, naturally in opposition to Jesus. He's a synagogue ruler and those people have not been all that excited with Jesus' mission. And yet publicly he comes to Jesus. The crowd goes to his house. When everyone is laughing, he still lets Jesus into his house and he has been told to trust Jesus, to have faith in Jesus. Everything for Jairus was public and laid on the line, even especially after his daughter had died. So how do those two people help us to understand what faith looks like? You know, sadly, sometimes we hear in churches the idea that God has not answered your prayers because you don't have enough faith. Uh, Cynically, I think that just means you haven't put enough money in the plate for the minister, but I think they use that language. But we see in God's word here that the woman with little faith and Jairus with large public faith, it's not the quantity of faith that they have that matters, but who that faith is in. Um, I've previously illustrated this using absolute examples. Um, I hope you remember it because that will help me understand that you've at least remembered one one of the uh, illustrations that I've given, but I'm going to reuse it. When I teach people to abseil, and I haven't done that for a while um, because, well, life is busy with other things, uh, I go through explaining to them how the rope is worthy of their trust. Uh, Abseiling rope uh, easily takes two tonne. 
I have two abseiling ropes tied off in three different places each. An 80 kilo person, you just have to imagine that I'm still 80 kilos, uh, has no problem trusting in a rope that can take four tonnes. Well, actually, sometimes they do. But the rope is worthy of their trust even if they struggle with that. I had one girl get to the bottom of a 15 metre abseil once. She was so scared she vomited. But she got to the bottom safely because the rope was worthy of her trust. She had a very little amount of trust or faith in the rope. No matter how much faith in that rope you have though, if the rope is not worthy of your trust, you will be cactus. If I'd gone down and bought some $2 twine from the local cheap shop, and you had complete trust in that twine because, well, you know that twine is, gonna, is well made, then regardless of how much faith or trust you have in the twine, when you get on the rope and go over the edge, I can, or the twine, sorry, I can guarantee you that, that twine will break because even though you've got great confidence, great trust in that twine, it is not worthy of your trust. I hope you get the point. Little trust large trust in Jesus, you're laughing. Jesus shows us it's not the quantity of our faith that matters, but who that faith is in. Luke wants us to see by the end of the gospel, even now, that Jesus is worthy of our trust. Of course, we speak of faith in a weird way in our culture, don't we? You just need to have faith and it will come to pass. If you're going to uh, get, get diagnosed with cancer this week, and some of you may well do, well, you just need to have faith. And if you have faith, you'll, get, you'll, you'll win, you'll, you'll overcome. Maybe you just, you've got plans for the future and you just need to have faith and all your dreams will come true. Well, can I suggest to you it's not good advice to say you just need faith. Jesus is saying you need faith in him because he alone is worthy of your faith. You need something more substantial than just a feeling on the inside. Jesus is saying, I am worthy. Trust me. Now, Luke's gospel will go on to show how we can trust him not just for you know, the ups and downs of daily life, but we can trust him with our eternity. That is a wonderful thing to look forward to as we get through the gospel. But let me start, just finish sorry, here, you don't want me to start now. Let me finish with just asking us a question. Are you really trusting Jesus? Is your faith in Jesus alone? Now, I think here on a Sunday morning, we can just give a flippant yes course we trust in Jesus I came here didn't I Rick what else are you tempted to put your faith in career family reputation academic qualifications as we work through Luke's gospel Jesus alone is the one who, who is able to deal with all that life throws at us.
life and sickness and death and eternity. Jesus is the one who is worthy of our trust. Do you put your faith in him alone? Let's pray, shall we? Our loving Heavenly Father, sometimes we feel like the woman who has such little trust in you. And we thank you, Lord God, that you alone are worthy of that trust. With all our faltering, we thank you that you are worthy. Sometimes, I guess, we might feel like Jairus. We thank you, Lord God, that you are worthy of our trust. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are worthy not just in making our life good for today, but you are worthy in t- for trusting for all eternity. Lord, work in us and through us to grow us as people who trust you in all things. We ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.